Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The only way a person is saved is by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And if a person is not saved that way, a person will never be saved. There is no other means of being saved. There are no works that one can do to save themselves. There is no other religious system that offers an acceptable road. It can only come through faith in Christ. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 through 29, in a message titled, Hearing Him Who Speaks from Heaven. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And so, the author writes, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. As we come to the verses that we read together today, verses 18 through 29, we see the author doing what he's done already uh, several times in the epistle, but he's coming back around to showing the supremacy of Christ, the superiority of Christ to everything that preceded him, and and not only showing the supremacy of Christ in, in his person, but also showing the supremacy of his work and how the work of Christ in establishing the new covenant far surpasses anything that had previously been. Now, remember, these people that he's writing to initially, they are, they're thinking that it would be better for them to go back to where they had come from. So they had come from life in Judaism. They had come from involvement in the, the temple worship and the, all of the 
ritual and ceremony that went along with that. They had come from being very secure in and embraced by their fellow countrymen there in that Jewish community. They, they had come from all of that. And now they're in, in a bit of a, an outside position because they put their faith in Jesus. So they've been a bit ostracized. And so as is often the case in looking back and, and sort of longing for better days, they're failing to see the reality of what was back there. They're looking at the Mosaic Covenant as, you know, as we would say, rose-colored lenses. You know, they're looking at it uh, in a way that they really, if they were looking clearly and carefully, they would realize, no, this isn't anything we want to go back to. And so here what the author does is he, in verse 18, he reminds them of the nature of that covenant that they're sort of longing for. And notice what he says about it. He says, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. He's saying, look, remember, before you make the decision, the final decision to go back, remember what you're going back to. It's not what you think it is. It's not a place where there's security. It's not a place where there's comfort. It's not a place where you can just rest and say, oh, everything's going to be okay. He says, no, the, the covenant itself, when it was established, it was established to communicate to us the severity of sin and to warn us against breaking God's laws and to strike fear into the heart of man. That's what you're thinking about going to, back to. You're, you're going to go back to a system that really has no comfort and it has no hope unless you've been able to perfectly keep the law, which of course nobody was able to do. So they had forgotten that the, the covenant through Moses was, as Paul would refer to it, it was really the ministration of death. That's how Paul refers to it. It was the ministration of death. It was written not on the heart of man, but it was written and engraved in stone. And it promised not blessing. Well, it promised blessing if you could keep it perfectly always, but if you couldn't, it promised nothing but curses. So he's really, he's contrasting what was offered through the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, with what Jesus has brought us with the new covenant. And we ourselves can never forget that the only way a person is saved is by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And if a person is not saved that way, a person will never be saved. There is no other means of being saved. There are no works that one can do to save themselves. There is no other religious system that offers an acceptable road from God's perspective to salvation. It can only come through faith in Christ. Now, what, what the author does here in verses 18 through 21 is he actually goes back and he's pretty much describing exactly what's written in Exodus chapter 19. 
If you go back yourself and you read the 19th chapter of Exodus, it's the backdrop for the giving of the Ten Commandments. The 20th chapter of Exodus is where we find the Ten Commandments given. But uh, the backdrop in, in chapter 19 is pictured for us there. And it's all of the things that he's talking about here. It is, as he describes it, blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. It was a terrifying experience. And so he's reminding them, look, this is the reality of the old covenant. Is this really, you know, in a sense, he would be saying, is this really what you want to go back to? Because this is what you are going back to if you go back. But then he makes the contrast. In contrast to the Mosaic covenant and the terrifying events surrounding the giving of the covenant at Sinai, we have come, he says, to Mount Zion. So all the way through the epistle, he's trying to get them to understand how much better things are now that they're believing in Jesus, even though maybe for the moment they're going through difficulty. They're going through suffering. They're going through trouble. And, you know, we have to remember that too, because sometimes when we are going through hard times, we're tempted to look back and we're tempted to think that, oh, you know, it was pretty good back in those days before Christ. You know, I had a lot of things going for me. You know, it wasn't all that bad. And we get tempted to think that, you know, maybe, maybe if I went back there, things would be good. But the truth of the matter is no. Now, there's nothing back there to go to. And we're going to see in just a few minutes how there really was soon to be absolutely nothing for them to go back to. But now in contrast, he says that we have come to Mount Zion. So in verses 22 through 24, here he's going to speak of the covenant through Christ and of the heavenly Jerusalem. But notice here in verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion. Now notice he says, you have come in the present tense. Now, of course, the truth is that they hadn't come in the fullest sense, just like we haven't in the fullest sense experienced all that God has intended for us. But, he, but what he's wanting to remind them of and what we need to remember too is that we are already presently the citizens of heaven. Uh, Paul tells us that many times over. He says our citizenship is in heaven from which we look for the Savior who's going to return. So right now, today, even though we haven't seen the, the fulfillment of all of the promises of God to us, they're guaranteed to us because of our citizenship. So we're citizens presently. He wants them to remember, you've come already. You, you haven't entered into the fullness of what awaits you. That will come, but you're already there. You're already an heir of this new kingdom that God is going to establish. And so it is true with us as well. Our citizenship is in heaven. And whatever earthly citizenship we have, you know, in some cases that's uh, advantageous and we thank God for it. And, you know, maybe some people feel that their particular citizenship is, you know, puts them at a disadvantage. Whatever the case, uh, whatever our earthly citizenship is, we are citizens of 
the kingdom of Christ, and we are citizens now. And so I want you to notice now, he describes a place, and he not only describes a place, but he describes those who are there presently living in that place. And so he says, you have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion. If you go back in the Old Testament and you look up every time Mount Zion appears or Zion appears, most of the time, it's a reference to Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem. Part of the mountain there where Jerusalem is, is even today, it's, it's referred to as Zion. But also, as you're looking through your Old Testament, you're going to find occasions where it's clear that the reference to Mount Zion is not speaking of the earthly Jerusalem, but it's speaking of the heavenly place, the place where God dwells. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about when he says you've come to Mount Zion, he's talking about the fact that we've come, like he said earlier, that we have access now with confidence before the throne of grace. We are citizens of the heavenly city. We've come to not the, the earthly location of Zion, but we've come to what that was just a shadow of. We've come to Mount Zion itself, the dwelling place of God. Now, interestingly, the the word Zion, in uh, my efforts to kind of get at the root of, you know, just what is the meaning of the word Zion, the best definition I could find for Zion is a sunny place, a sunny place, or a bright place, or a shining place. Now, I, I think just even in the word itself, look at the contrast. He's talking about Mount Sinai. How does he describe Mount Sinai? He describes it burning with fire, blackness, darkness, and tempest. That's, that's what they're thinking about going back to. He says, no, don't go back there because you've come to a sunny place. You've come to a bright place. You've come to a shining place. And of course, the kingdom that we are going to receive ultimately in its fullest sense is a kingdom that is a kingdom of light and life. And it's full of brightness as a sunny place would be. So you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. When we think of heaven, as we, we commonly you know, make references to going to heaven or somebody having gone to heaven or will a person get to heaven, what are we talking about? What are we thinking of? I think a lot of times in our minds, we're, it's kind of fuzzy as to what we're talking about or thinking about. We're, you know, it's kind of, it's a little bit cloudy to us. It's a little bit mysterious. It's a little bit mystical. We don't think of it as having, you know, substance sometimes like we can visualize or think of, you know, different places in the world uh, we almost think of it, you know, like you'd look at it, it would be sort of a transparent place, you know, you could kind of see it. But, but the fact of the matter is, heaven is a place. There's a city there. There's an actual city. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. And the book of Revelation in the latter chapters, especially the very end of the book, actually gives us quite a description of that city that is one day going to be the the dwelling place for all of those who have loved and served the Lord. But but even now, we become the, the citizens of that city. 
So when we talk about heaven, we're talking about not some place that's way, way out there in some corner of our material universe. You know, years ago, there was, uh, you know, back in the days of the Soviet Union, they sent up a, you know, a cosmonaut is what they called them, like an astronaut. And uh, one of the things that he purportedly reported back was, you know, he hadn't been able to find God anywhere. And, uh, you know, out there in space, searching around, didn't see any evidence of God. And of course, at that time, it was an atheistic nation, so it was sort of atheistic propaganda. But you know what? You could span the entire universe and you wouldn't find God. You wouldn't arrive on his doorstep and be able to get out of your spaceship and go, you know, pay him a visit because he's beyond the material universe. Heaven, the place of God's dwelling, is not part of the material universe. It's outside of it. It's beyond it. When the Bible speaks of heaven, sometimes it's talking about the atmosphere around us, Sometimes it's talking about where the, the, the planets and the stars are. And then there are times when it's talking about the dwelling place of God. Paul referred to it in writing to the Corinthians as he called it the third heaven. And he talked about being caught up into the third heaven. And what he meant by that was into the very presence of God. So the heavenly Jerusalem is a place. It's the city of the living God It's the place where God's throne is, and it's outside of the material universe. It's it's another dimension. And so it is a place, though, and it's not only a place, but it's a place that's inhabited, as he goes on to show us. But real quickly, Jerusalem means, in essence, Jerusalem means the city of peace. Some say it means the foundation of peace. Some say it means the dwelling place of peace. Some say the house of peace. But the idea is that it's the city of peace. Of course, we think of the the words, if you're familiar at all with any kind of Hebrew, you know the word shalom means peace. Well, that's Salem is, is the word shalom. And so the heavenly city is the city of peace. Man longs for peace. We cry out for peace. Everybody has, you know, one theory or another about how to attain peace. God lives in the city of peace, and that city will always be what it is eternally, a city of peace. So it's a place, but it's a place that's inhabited by different beings First of all, there are there a, an innumerable company of angels, an innumerable company of angels. The book of Revelation, again, describes this a little bit where it talks about the, the multitudes that are gathered around God's throne, these angelic creatures. It says that there are 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's a way of describing uh, an innumerable amount. And so... There's an innumerable company of angels. And the picture here is that they're all gathered and dressed in in festive apparel. They're all there to celebrate the glory and the greatness of God. So heaven, the place where God dwells, is a place of constant celebration. It's a place of 
constant festivities in the best sense that you can imagine. I mean, you know, when you, you think of going to a festival of some sort. Oh, yeah, we're going to this festival and everybody's going to be there and we're going to just have a tremendous time. It's going to be so wonderful. We're all going to be together and we're all going to be, you know, doing whatever we do. Well, that's what heaven's like. It's an exciting place. It's a festive place. And there's an innumerable company of angels who are engaged in the festivities. But there's also the general assembly of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And so this is a reference to the church. And every single person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ from the time of his resurrection, or even before, from the, from the time of his uh, death and resurrection to this day, every single person who has died is there. That's where they are. So when you think of your loved one, when you think of your parent or your child or your brother or your sister or your relative or your friend who knew Christ, who passed away, this is how you need to think of them. They're not just floating around out there in outer space. You know, some people come up with the, the craziest images of what heaven is like. And, you know, people have actually said, well, I don't want to go to heaven. I mean, I don't want to float around on a cloud playing a harp forever. Well, whoever suggested that that would be the case in the first place? The only way you can come up with a picture like that of heaven is to just come up with one that's not connected to the biblical you know, understanding of things. According to the Bible, as we're looking right here, heaven is a place. And that's where those people are. That's where our loved ones are. They're there in the very presence of the angels together with all of the saints. And are they doing things? Are they just kind of standing around singing? You know, hey, look, we do things here on earth, right? Uh, Earth is just a, you know, it's a glimpse. It's a dim glimpse of the life to come and the world to come. So the general assembly of the firstborn, notice that believers are referred to as the firstborn, which means Firstborn in the sense of priority or preeminence. The church of the firstborn are those who have the preeminence. So we have a preeminent place in that future kingdom. The church, the bride of Christ, has a a prominent seat at the feast. The church of the firstborn So everyone who has ever trusted Christ and gone on from this life into the next, they are there. And they're referred to here as those who are registered in heaven. Registered in heaven, enrolled in heaven, written. Their names are written in heaven. You know, think about that for a moment. Uh, Have you ever been to some sort of an event where you had to register in advance? Or, or, you know, I mean, you you have to RSVP to things all the time. So, you know, you let people know, yeah, we're going to be here. And they put your name on a uh, list. And when you show up, somebody's there with a list and they check and they say, oh yeah, yeah, you're on the, you're on the list. Yeah, come on in. Sure. And that's the case in heaven as well. Our names are on the list. We know a little more specifically from the book of Revelation that it's really called the Lamb's Book of Life. That's where our names are written.
Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. Jesus has become a stranger to today's culture. Many do not know who he truly is, and many have never even heard of him. Our culture wonders, was Jesus even a real historical person? And why does it even matter if Jesus lived at all? And if he did, what does that mean for you and me personally? These are just some of the questions that Rebecca McLaughlin tackles in her new book, Confronting Jesus. In this book, you'll learn who Jesus is and what that means for you. If you want to know more about Jesus and why knowing who he is is the most important question in life you'll ever have to answer, or if you know someone who needs to know who Jesus is, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.